Excuse me, class. 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 Shut up! Welcome back, fellow educators, parents, students, and anyone else that is curious about the chaos and charm of the educational world. You're stepping into the classroom of Edurant, and I am your host, David, the educator with a penchant for unpacking the complexities of the education world. In this episode, we'll discuss teacher burnout and my thoughts on being the popular teacher. If I get too negative, I'll throw in an uplifting story. So buckle up for an educational odyssey as we bumble through the clusterfuck of educational discourse and unveil valuable insights. I'll do my best to separate rhetoric from reality, promises from practices, and of course, I'll indulge in a good old-fashioned rant. Class is in session, and today's subject is why you should be an unpopular teacher. Before I dive into the main topic of the day, let's just do a little bit of a Reddit reflection. Uh, as I was scrolling through Reddit on one of my many times of the week where I just had to stare at my phone, I saw a headline that really jumped off the page and it said, I can't stand my job anymore. And I thought, well, no shit. Me either. And I started reading because I needed to hear from somebody who's going through something similar to me. And here, here's what the, the thread said. I've been looking for another job since the beginning of the school year. It, it's, hardly, it's hardly even the kids. It's admin and my principal. She has said and done some egregious things that have made me feel like shit. One day, I got pulled into the office, and she said everything was fine. Then she calls out union representation, and I start panicking, thinking I did something wrong. I'm searching my brain for anything, and I can't find it. When the rep arrives, she says that she was by the door to my room and heard me say to students in a loud voice to please settle down because we needed to go to an assembly. For context, the students were very, very rowdy. I do not like yelling or raising my voice, but I did that day, raising it a bit above normal speaking level. It probably doesn't help that my voice is naturally louder than most. I got told that if I raise my voice above speaking level, I'm causing as much damage to a kid as if they were physically abused or essayed, I'm assuming sexually assaulted. I felt like shit, like an abuser, and was shaking. As someone who went through that, I didn't know what to say. I was just shaking and crying, and after being told this, I was sent back to my classroom to finish out the day. So much more has happened since then, and it's getting worse. The environment of my school is tense. I dread coming to work, and this is only my second year of teaching. My mental health has only gotten worse. I have nightmares and crying spells. It's scary trying to think of how to do a letter or resigna a letter of resignation. But I know that if I stay here for another year, I'm just going to get worse. I didn't get into teaching just to hate the job. I did it because I love teaching art. But at this point, I don't know what else to do. Yeah, rough situation. Um, yet here again, another example of a teacher being forced out of the profession because of absolutely stupid administrators. Seriously, a raised voice equates with sexual assault. 
let me be very clear on this. I could scream in a kid's face, throw their cell phone into a wood chipper while forcing them to listen to Mbop on repeat, and it wouldn't come anywhere close to sexual assault or physical abuse. On the scale of screwed up stuff, it is not near them. Now that I think of it more, subjecting them to the Hansons is probably a little extreme, so take that off the list. But yet, here's another asinine parasite who wants to ensure positive feelings at all costs, at the cost of life skills, and at the cost of an ability to engage in social norms. Kids don't want to pay attention all the time, and, and getting them to listen can be tricky. Some teachers, they do little claps. You know, some turn off the lights in a, in a flashy pattern. Some have little chants or cheers, some countdown, and some, like me, tell them to quiet down. Why should I have to dress up my directive? I need them to be quiet. They need to be quiet. I set the behavior expectations in the room, so stop talking. Please be quiet. Shut your mouth. And any other variant is just fine by me. I am borderline supportive of being able to just tell kids to shut up if they aren't listening to more respectful options, because sometimes that's what it takes to get through to them. I am a bit lucky because I, I have a voice that carries, so students tend to hear me even if they are being a bit rowdy. Not always, but usually. A raised voice has its time and its place. I use it sparingly, otherwise I found that it loses effectiveness but I absolutely have raised my voice to get attention because it works. It can't be your only tool, but it is a tool that you can choose to use. But here we go, another admin that needs to be ejected from the educational arena. I say we let this teacher yell at them as they carry their box of crap out to their car. Let's yell at them like students yell at us. If she gets upset, then tell her that she better not yell at us because we'd have to press charges. You know, it's on par with sexual assault. It's seriously ridiculous that that was even equated. So to my fellow educator, sorry that you had to deal with this buffoon. Screw them. If you need to raise your voice now and again to maintain control of an unruly and rowdy group of students in your classroom, do it. It's time to stop coddling kids. They are entitled enough as it is. They need real-world lessons so that they are prepared. One of those lessons is that if you are unruly, obnoxious, and causing a disruption for other people, someone will probably raise their voice and tell you to quiet down. And if you pick the wrong guy on, or gal on the wrong day, they might go beyond that. More people need to be told to shut up and that they can't just do whatever they want when they want. If idiot administrators keep this crap up, then we will only have more incidents, like, you know, the protesters interrupting dinners, stopping traffic, and otherwise disrupting society. We have a generation of coddled kids who haven't learned that the world doesn't revolve around them and their sensibilities. They need to learn this lesson young. So again, if you teach kids and they're rowdy, raise your voice as needed. Just don't overdo it. Anyway, fuck that administrator. Moving into today's main segment, I'm going to call it Unpopular Teachers Are Effective Too. 
uh, when I was going through teacher prep program, one of the big names in education at the time uh, was Ron Clark, and and Ron hasn't gone anywhere. He's still in the scene and and still um, has lots of good ideas and and wisdom to share. Uh, and and I recently had an opportunity to listen to Ron Clark speak. I'd read his first book, The Essential Fifty Five, and and appreciated the fact that he values teaching life skills. Uh, and so I was really kind of anxious to hear, you know, what, what he had to say and, and how his message had changed since my time in, in my teacher prep program. Um, I definitely appreciate the desire to bring parents and, and teachers onto the same team. I think that's more valuable than ever. Um, I, I even appreciate his energy level and presentation skills. Um, it's not often that you see a, a guest speaker uh, standing on uh, chair arms of, of arena seating or, or on a table uh, to, to gain attention. The man seems to be a very passionate educator and definitely has a desire to improve the education system. Overall, I agree with much of his philosophy, or at least what my current understanding of his philosophy is. But like most things, like most philosophies, it has parts that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with, or honestly have the time, energy, or support to implement without a substantive systemic shift. So what do I agree with? Well, respect for everyone. Yeah, check, I agree with that. Clear expectations for, for students and, and staff. Yep, check, agree with that one. Balance in the classroom. Check that one a couple times. Work at building relationships with students. Check. Seems like common sense to me. Making learning fun. Uh, Check-ish. I think we just need to remember we have to keep that balance section from, from earlier in mind. So what's my beef? What's my issue with Mr. Clark? Really absolutely nothing. He can run his classroom and school as he sees fit and with what works with his personality, talents, skill base, and students. I just think that I should be afforded that very same opportunity. In my district, I've seen them bring out one ed educational guru after another. And then what they do is they cherry pick from their best-selling books or, or motivational speaker presentations. They pick those parts that they personally like and agree with, and then they just shove those down our throats until we choke. And then when they see that we're choking, they go, oh, oops, okay, back off a little bit. Next educational guru, yep, do the same thing, you know, rinse and repeat. And it's already started with, with this uh, with Mr. Clark's presentation. And it started with a phrase. I really like Mr. Clark's 1% tip. Let's think of ways that we can do that. So Mr. Clark, uh, he spoke on, on how teachers are overburdened and burnt out. And knowing this, that as, as an administrator in his own uh, building, in his school, big changes are seen as even more overwhelming in today's day and age. So he suggested, well, maybe we make small efforts, just 1% changes. So he called them 1% actions. Instead of writing a personalized response on every assignment that you grade, write it on one assignment. Basically, he says, start small. And in theory, this sounds great. In practicality, really, how many teachers aren't putting 
a significant effort into their classrooms or relationship with relationships with students. Most educators that I know are giving 100% already. So now we, we have to go further. Why? We are always told things like, oh, it's, it's for the kids. Our noble profession is one that requires sacrifice. This is a calling and we should do all that we can to fulfill it. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And more and more bullshit phrases that imply that we aren't doing enough or doing it right or some other ridiculous statement. Newsflash, I am a teacher to help the kids. But that doesn't mean I agree that the path you propose is the best for my students. It also doesn't mean that I should blindly do whatever you want, sacrifice my own physical and mental health to make it happen, nor does it mean that I should pick up for the flaws in our education system. I agree, our profession is a noble one, but it only requires sacrifice because politicians, administrators, voters, and many other members of society have deemed that I as a teacher should be a pack mule and they feel like they can just beat us until we start to carry more and more weight. You call this a calling and maybe it is, just maybe it is. It started that way for me, but it's also a job, one that I am paid to do. One that my pay should be adjusted according to my workload. Do you want me to do 1% more than the 100% I give now? Okay, how about some overtime pay? An average teacher's salary is somewhere around $55,000 a year. That is for a full-time contract. Most places of employment get time and a half for overtime. So let's go ahead and pay me the time and a half of my 1% of my salary for that additional 1% of work. Otherwise, stop trying to use guilt and gaslighting to coerce me into sacrificing more of my time, energy, and money to do my job. As far as challenges leading to change, I am challenged every single day in my job. Quite honestly, I don't need to change. I am able to teach kids. We change so frequently in education, especially in my district, that we have lost a key element of what students thrive on, consistency. Teachers are always dealing with a change in curriculum content, in curriculum standards, curriculum resources, building expectations, and the vast number of procedures that we have, and just many, many other things. We are locked in perpetual change. We are always reinventing the wheel with regards to our classroom. This is challenging. And the only change it brings is change to our teacher retention rate that's going down. Why the hell would a sane person stay in a field that changes so rapidly and where we aren't paid to put up with it? We are seeing that they aren't. We have a growing teacher shortage. I am one of the few, and honestly, it's because I'm too invested in the career field at this point. So I stay and I do my best to make the best of it. But Mr. Clark does it. Yeah, yeah, he does. You know, the Ron Clark Academy is a, a very well-funded private institution. They have an $18,000 a year tuition. Oprah, Promethean, Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, and the great American Insurance Group are just a few of their generous sponsors. Now, keep in mind that, that spending per student varies from state to state. In my state, it is around $7,500. In Georgia, uh, when I checked online, what I found was a figure that was around 
So they are operating with a higher budget than their public school counterparts because his academy is located in Georgia. They don't have to deal with transient students. Mr. Clark's academy only accepts students based on what I've seen, and, and I could be misinterpreting this, that are going from um, third into fourth grade, and they don't accept students after that time frame. I have had students move mid-year only to move back, then leave again, and possibly come back. I'm, and I'm lucky to be in a pretty stable community. I've talked to other teachers who have experienced students moving in and out close to a dozen times in a year. This causes massive gaps in learning. RCA, or the Ron Clark Academy, doesn't have to deal with any of that. And according to their website, IEP students may or may not be accepted based on the school's available resources to meet the child's needs. So immediately, my thoughts are focused around the available resources. What public school has the, the luxury of taking that into account? And quite honestly, what public school has the resources available to meet all IEP needs? We are struggling to do that. By law, we have to, or we have to acquire those, those resources. We don't get to deny students with IEP accommodations from entering into our, our building or into our school system. Mr. Clark does, and that definitely impacts how you're able to educate. Now, parents in, in the RCA, in Mr. Clark's Academy, are required to provide 40 hours of community service if their child attends that school. They only accept students who have involved parents, is what I gathered from there, or are making the change to become involved. Now, they don't say that out loud, but if a requirement for acceptance is that they have to do 40 hours of community service per year, that would tell me that if, if said service is not being done, then they are not meeting one of the requirements for being enrolled at this institution. And a natural consequence eventually would be removal from the school. Now, in my school, we are pretty lucky if we get parents for two 20-minute conferences, and, and then sometimes we get a handful that volunteer to help out with these one-hour celebrations we have throughout the year, uh, around the winter holiday, um, and then um, around the, the Valentine's Day time frame. And, you know, it would be nice. It would be very nice to only deal with involved parents, especially if you consider what my last podcast topic was about. Parents also have to provide all transportation, which is one of the biggest fees for public schools. Yes, my school gets less than half of what Mr. Clark charges for attendance at his academy. We also don't have the luxury of denying transportation to students who live in the boundaries. Again, one of the largest budget expenses for school districts, so we get half the money and it has to go farther. I've debated people about um, private versus public schools, and, and I, I'm not against uh, private schools by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I, I do get frustrated with the flexibility in general that they have compared to their public counterparts. Um, 
and I, I, this includes my own family, uh, I typically start with agreeance, right? I say, yes, you're right. That school does sound like a great place for kids to learn. It sure does sound safer. Mm-hmm. Yep, the kids do seem more respectful. Uh, yeah, class sizes are indeed smaller. And then I ask, why can they deny entrance to IEP students? Why can they expel students with behavior issues easily? Why can they accept vouchers and then in turn charge additional tuition? Why don't they have to accept all students that live in their boundaries? If public schools could pick and choose only the best behaved, highest academic achievers, and then active and, and also choose actively involved parents, we would perform just as well, and you'd be saying the same things about us. The fact is that we can't, and it is only because we can't that they are able to perform so well. Do you think if Mr. Clark's Academy had to accept high class sizes, significant special needs, I'm not just talking you know, a resource student here and there, significant developmental and uh, physical and mental needs. Do you think his scores would be where they are now? Or would they have a, an impact that would cause them to, to be reduced? Now, that is nothing negative against those students at all by any stretch of the imagination. It is simply stating a fact. And this is something that Mr. Clark does not have to deal with. Nobody, after I've talked with them, has been able to effectively argue against this without resorting to, well, then public schools need to change. Maybe, maybe you should change the law. Yeah, that's definitely something I can do. It's just, it's super easy. You just make a call, right? 1-800-CHANGE-LAWS, and then they listen to you, and you have so much common sense, and they just go and, and do it immediately. Now, I don't say any of this to belittle Mr. Clark. I really don't, or his accomplishments. He has done some amazing things in the lives of, of many students, and, and he's inspired many educators to go on and also help students. And so I think that's a good thing. Um, I will say his tax filings um, from, from his uh, academy show that he was compensated uh, with $293,963 in 2022. Now, I don't know um, what all this entails. I would make a few assumptions. And again, I could be wrong. These are assumptions. It's probably a combination of his teaching salary and his um, administrative role in the Ron Clark Academy that he founded. Um, I don't know if his book sales and public speaking are wrapped up into that or not. Um, part of me doesn't think that would be the case. Part of me just thinks it would be whatever his official role is with, with that academy. However, still, that is a far cry above the teacher salary of $70,000. Um, monetary motivation is a real thing. And he is probably very generous with his money. He seems like the kind of person that would be. And he seems like a very deeply caring person. Uh, but many teachers are. He's not necessarily unique in that. The difference I'm seeing here is we barely make a livable salary. And it always irks me when someone comes in and tells us how we should do our jobs and how we should give more of ourselves. You know what? Fine. That's fine. How about we have that same support network that you do? No one's above you. 
telling you exactly what you need to do in your classroom. And if you disagree and you try to do something different, innovative, you're, you know, written up or, or told that you need to follow what they say to do because they're paying for the curriculum and they're paying your salary. So you, you better fall in line and do what they want. You don't have that. So let us innovate. That'd be great. I bet you we could do some pretty amazing things too. How about you pay us the pay that you get? Give us the flexibility that you have. The fact is that, that almost nobody that is serving in a classroom as a teacher has those things. Some of us are being told that we can't even raise our voice to get students' attention. Some of us are dictated what our curriculum has to include, what resources we have to use, what our lesson plan formats must look like, and what learning activities must be utilized. Some of us are micromanaged to an unhealthy degree, and I don't get the impression that Mr. Clark is, and that must be really nice. Some of us would love to be able to innovate and take notes from Mr. Clark, but that micromanagement by inept leaders prevents it. Instead, what happens when we have guest speakers like Mr. Clark is that administrators who haven't been in the classroom in a decade or decades cherry pick some things that they like and turn it into additional work for us. Oh, they really like those 1% things, those things that they can claim are just 1%. You can do that, right? It's just that. That turns into two 1% things, and eventually you are asking how the hell you got voluntold to head a committee on how to support underwater basket weaving in the classroom. You didn't even know that was an option in kindergarten, as you are pretty sure the kids can't swim or, or hold their breath, long enough to weave a basket at least, all, of course, without any increase in compensation, because we, you know, we, just, we can't come up with 1% more money for you, but we really think you, sh you can come up with that 1% more work. And then it hits you. That meeting that you spaced out in, as soon as the principal said, it's for the kids and our profession requires sacrifice, you suffered the ultimate betrayal. Your teaching partner lifted your hand into the air, Quicker than the flash can blink, your admin writes your name down and you are screwed. Go ahead and back out now. Wow, you don't care for kids? Where else is the Easter Bunny going to find cheap labor for baskets? Going back to my slight disagreement with learning always being fun, I am a teacher. I am not a circus performer. Learning isn't always fun or it loses meaning. Now, if Mr. Clark has the energy to develop long drawn out songs and musical routines to teach every concept known to mankind, good on him. I have the musical talent of a rock. If you want my students to leave my room screaming, holding their ears while they bleed, then go ahead and make me sing. I should be able to teach with the methods that align with my personality type, with my skills, strengths, and utilize that to create strong relationships with students, not try to change me into something I'm not that you think would be better for students. How many of you have heard the expression that too much of a good thing can sometimes be detrimental? I think it applies here. Not everything in life is fun. I don't know anybody 
who gets their rocks off by paying bills. Okay, it's not fun. And students need to learn this lesson that not everything is fun before they graduate and hit the workforce. Life would be a lot harder if when you and I were younger, if we hadn't learned this simple fact. Balance is key. Tedious assignments are, are needed sometimes to counteract fun ones. Not because I don't want kids having fun, but because kids need to learn to deal with tedium. Group work is warranted at times, but so is independent work. Not everything is a collaborative group effort. It is super easy to get caught up in these popularity games. But what's important to remember is that popularity doesn't always equate with effectiveness. Popularity can sometimes be mistaken for effectiveness, but they are not the same thing. A teacher might be well-liked by students for, for lots of reasons that don't relate necessarily to their teaching ability. You know, you, you might have a teacher who offers really lenient grading. Or maybe they allow their, their students to use their cell phones in class. That, that would probably make them pretty popular with kids. But that doesn't mean that they are necessarily a better teacher or that learning is improved. You know, popular teachers that, that I've seen through my career tend to focus on, on entertainment over learning. They want their kids to be entertained and have fun and smile and be happy all the time. And not to say I don't want kids to smile and be happy. I do. Um, but... I think that sometimes by overemphasizing that, they're not really fostering on, on developing deep understanding of, of developing critical thinking skills. Um, we, we tend to, to do superficial things that are fun over deeper lessons that require struggle, require students to grapple with concepts and then pull meaning out from it. They lack academic rigor in general. And, and a teacher who relies heavily on, on games, videos, on, or other interactive activities can inadvertently neglect opportunities for in-depth learning and analytical thinking. Um, some popular teachers I remember from my own education uh, were, were very, very biased towards certain students. And, and I don't think it was intentional. Um, I mean, there was a few I can think of that were, uh, if, if they were a coach, yeah, they absolutely were, were biased towards, uh, athletes that they coached or, or on the team or, and sometimes even just, you know, athletes that they liked, um, from other, other sports. But there's a few that I think just saw those kids as popular and were trying to kind of use them to make them themselves popular so they could reach more students. Now, unfortunately, this, this approach of, of having a bias towards certain students can create disparities in the classroom, and, and it hinders, and can hinder, it doesn't always, I guess, but it can hinder the academic progress of students who don't fit the mold of what students perceive as that teacher's favorites. You know, it's, it's crazy how the whole football team passed the test, but the quiet introverts didn't do so well because they didn't participate in discussions as much. 
but most of those discussions were about ridiculous sports statistics that will mean nothing uh, in in 10 15 20 years except to those that, that played them and they'll just be reminiscing about them you know over a beer somewhere uh, but th this lack of rigor um, that I've noticed with popular teachers it it's resulted in watered down curriculum and, and mr. Clark did touch on this he talked about the dumbing down of the American education system and spot on he was spot on with that section and it, it really um, is a disservice to our students because pretty soon we have fifth graders who can't read a second grade passage but you know what they are awesome at heads up seven up this lack of academic rigor hinders students intellectual growth by not challenging them and challenging things aren't always fun I can't tell you the number of students where I, I give a test and, and they'll just bring it up in, you know, 10 minutes. Keep in mind, there's, you know, 20 questions that are all word problems and they're pretty difficult. They'll bring it up. I'm done. Really? Okay, so I'll glance through it and make sure, you know, everything's filled out. Well, you left these, you know, eight problems um, blank. And it really looks like these other ones, you just kind of quickly, where's your work at? I see some answers you kind of wrote down, but where's your work? I did it in my head. Really, you did multiple step word problems involving a new concept that you've never seen before in your head. Yep. Well, I'm great. I'm glad you did it in your head, but I can't read minds and my crystal balls in the shop. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and write down your work. Ugh, oh my God, I should have to show my work. And they go about uh, back to their desk and they sit there and mope and moan for half an hour and until the time's up and I collect tests and then they end up getting a really low grade. Why? Because they're not used to tedium. No matter how often we practice it, it doesn't translate into an in, into a, a, an acquired skill because not all teachers are doing tedious activities. Not all grade levels are doing tedious activities. It's not like we have scaffold, scaffolded activities going from, from K to, to 12 that have increased academic rigor or, or um, you know, uh, decreased fun amounts. Oh, it seems like everything that we have, that we have teachers doing is, well, you want them engaged, which means they have to be having fun. No, it doesn't. It means they have to be on task. And that's different. So popularity sometimes masks inconsistent teaching quality. A teacher who is charismatic and engaging in lessons may actually fail to provide meaningful learning experiences. So kids are engaged, but, and they're having fun, but they're with, you know, low, low, low quality uh, lessons, easy lessons, lessons that are behind grade level. And I like Mr. Clark's response to this, that we should be teaching to the gifted students and then trying our best to scaffold downward so that other students of different uh, abilities can grasp the concept maybe at a, at a little bit different pace or maybe they don't get the whole concept, but they get some of the vocabulary, right? So we're, we're trying to scaffold everything, but we're, we're teaching to the high. And, and I feel like anymore, you know, we look at, oh, wow, in, in general, um, your fourth grade class reads at a second grade level. So go ahead and, and, and do everything. And, you know, we need to teach to the, to the 80%. And then you have, you have the, the upper tier that's bored out of their minds. 
and you have the lower tier that you're you're trying to you know teach how to read at a kindergarten level in, in fourth fifth grade um, while simultaneously keeping that 80 percent moving and I don't think any sane person that, that's not an educator would look at the requirements of what we have to do to scaffold lessons and think that it was reasonable. I think it's just one of those, you know, dirty secrets, dark secrets no one wants to bring out into the light because, uh, you know, we, we're failing as teachers. We're not doing that. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. The system set up wrong. The system sets you up for failure. You should be teaching to the higher level and scaffold as you can down. And then maybe those parents that come in for 40 hours of volunteer, they can take some of that work too, right? Popular teachers that I've seen also, they have very limited accountability from administrators and parents. Why? Because they're popular. Their kids are happy, right? So they face less scrutiny from administrators. It's always the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? And, and things are going smooth because kids are having fun. Now, kids might not be learning a lot, but that doesn't really matter as long as they're having fun and, and admin sees them engaged. It looks good. All right, stamp of approval. Oh, little, little Susie, little Johnny, they come home and they're not complaining about their mean teacher. Oh, things must be going good. Oh, but they come home complaining about all the hard work that their teacher makes them do. Then you're going to get an admin walking through, checking out what you're doing. Then you're going to get that email from a parent saying, well, my kid doesn't understand it and they think it's too hard. Squeaky wheel, unfortunately, in this case, gets the grease. I've also seen it where, where those popular teachers become friends with the administrator. And I'm not saying this is bad. I've, I've been friends with several of my administrators, uh, but we always maintained a very um, clear professional boundary. And I never stopped doing my job because I knew that would put them in an awkward position. However, I've seen it recently um, where uh, some of these these teachers um, get away with, with a bit more than the teachers that don't buy into everything the district uh, tries to push on us. And so their job is, is a bit easier, right? When you don't have that, that uh, supervisor breathing down your neck. Uh, but without this this accountability and they're not um they're not developing as educators either yeah sure their class is having fun but they're really not pushing them with the administrator not being in their rooms they tend to gravitate towards the rooms of people that they don't consider as being as effective or engaging or popular and so there's increased scrutiny on those of us who aren't singers and dancers those of us who believe that tedium dealing with tedium is an important life skill a lot of the popular teachers they overemphasize the extracurricular activities um you know they'll talk sports all the time with kids or you know um oh we better go on this field trip why well we're going to go watch this sports team play. But what academic value does it have? Well, none, but the kids will have fun. Mm, okay, I see. Um, they focus on these things so much that it comes at the expense of instructional time and academic rigor. Uh, teachers who, who devote a significant amount of time and energy into extracurriculars might not be delivering the highest quality instruction. 
and it lead could lead to diminished learning. We've we've talked about one of the negative impacts on colleagues is that increased scrutiny of the unpopular teachers simply because they're not as on, on good friend terms with with the admin. Um, the popularity of teachers within a, within a school can create tension or jealousy among colleagues, particularly if there's a perception of favoritism or unequal treatment. This definitely undermines morale and cohesion amongst the teaching staff, and it leads to almost an unhealthy competition rather than a collaborative environment. And when, when teachers are more focused on outshining their colleagues than working together to support student learning, it's definitely not a good thing. Now, there are a, you know, a, a third party, right? There's those of us who, who just don't care to, to compete to be popular um, and aren't going to, to, to engage in, in that. But it also, we see the negative impact. And we, what we do is we kind of do a turtle, right? We, we kind of head back into our shell. We go back to our classrooms. We do what we have to do. We get we get there in the day, we we plan everything. We we engage with all the students. We try it. We try our hardest to get the concept across, and then we're done. So it can actually impact our collaboration because we don't want to be a part of that unhealthy dynamic. And collaboration and teamwork among teachers is essential for creating a positive school culture and maximizing student success. I can acknowledge the value of, of insights provided by educators like Mr. Ron Clark. I honestly can even learn from him. I can acknowledge his accomplishments and those of his school and adopt some of the methods and tools that he used to make it happen. I just can't ignore the drawbacks. I can't let the true cost of the system that he envisions fall on the shoulders of teachers with a system that doesn't support them. The disparities between private institutions like his and the public schools like mine are too obvious to not consider. It's easy to say, my program works, look at this. It's harder to sell that system when you leave out the fact that you can handpick your students and those you don't pick go back to the public schools like where I teach. It's harder to sell when you have a budget that supports you and the ability to remove students, which I don't have. It's important that we analyze the unique struggles inherent to each system. Yes, public has has challenges, so do private schools. We need to analyze both. And we have a need for balance between innovation and practicality. We need balance between having a fun education uh, system and a, a tedious education system because balance is important. Part of balance is taking off weight from one side of the seesaw if you want it to stay balanced when you're taking weight off from the other. So if you want to add more onto our plate on one side, you know, something's going to have to be removed because otherwise that, that seesaw is not going to be balanced and it has to be an equal measure removal. You can't say, oh, well, you know what? If you uh if you take on this song and dance and you develop a, a song and, and clap and, and dance with every lesson, um, I'm gonna go ahead and give you uh, a, a jeans day. That that's not it at all. That is not what we need. How about you take off the requirement for um, one of the curriculum interventions that you have us doing that isn't really needed. 
or could be moved to a different time in our schedule and we could free up more time. How about that? Let's start with that. How about you give us freedom of our, of our scheduling, right? Um, you can't keep throwing things on our plates and expect us just to get it done. That's why, Mr. Clark, your 1% idea is not sustainable in the public education setting because it relies on the district putting more on our plates when we already have heaping full plates. There's no room to put anything else on there. We ignore this, this imbalance. And when we ignore it, teachers pay. When we ignore it, what we're telling teachers is we're feeding them guilt and gaslighting, forcing them to subsidize a failing system. Also that kids can have fun and that, you know, select teachers can be popular, ringleaders, you know, they can do some circus acts in their classroom and bring in the, the, the juggling elephants. Um, but you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay with being unpopular. As long as my students experience academic rigor and a comprehensive education with as many life skills as I can instill, I guess I won't win the popularity contest, but there is always the beauty competition. So moving into our, our final segment, and I feel like I was kind of a little harsh on, on Mr. Clark, and I want to re reiterate that I have nothing against him, and I, I, I respect immensely that he built a business of his own and figured out a way to, to be successful while simultaneously um, reaching, reaching some uh, students that, that many would find difficult. And so good on him. I just think it's important that districts don't cherry-pick things to add more to our plates. If you like his philosophy, then fund it like he funds it. If you like his academy, then you know what? Structure our buildings like he structures his. But don't expect every teacher to be a musical performing circus act. That is not the way the real world works. Our final segment is, is a positive story, a story I ran across as I was, was surfing the Reddit threads. And uh, it's one that I, I think uh, a lot of us have experience with. And it's good to bring back to the to our, our forefront of our minds um, because it's easy to get caught up in the negativity. And we want to make sure that we remember why we do what we do. So this story today is, is from uh, the Reddit thread, Teachers of Reddit. And, and the question that was asked is, what is the greatest student success story that you witnessed? And, and this isn't a story of mine. Again, this is just one I saw that really kind of jumped out at me as being pretty cool. Um, it was posted six years ago. And at the time, um, the poster, the Milo Cat, uh, taught fifth grade. And they wrote... I teach fifth grade, and I've had several students enter fifth after being homeschooled. I say homeschool in quotation marks because these kids have not really learned anything at home due to uninvolved parents. I fully support involved homeschool parents and hope to homeschool my own kids in the future. My school got a little girl who was eight and supposed to be in third grade. However, having never attended school before, she could not read, recognize her own name in print, say the sound, sounds letters make, or count past 10. Our principal and the girl's parents decided third grade was too much, so put her back in second. By the end of second, she was at about a mid-year kindergarten level. She'd made a lot of growth. By the time she was in fifth, which is her grade level, 
She was reading at a mid-second grade level. When I got her state testing scores at the end, end of the year, our building was shocked to see that she had tested at the proficient level. Now, we have some great teachers, and, and we were dedicated to helping this sweet girl. But this kid was so determined to do well that she went above and beyond in everything. She took extra spelling words home. She borrowed books, book after book from my library. She stayed after school three days a week for tutoring. She asked for extra assignments all the time. This girl wants to be a doctor, and if she keeps up this drive, she'll do great things. Now, most of us have had an experience like this, but every time I hear about one, I can't help but smile because I envision students I've had throughout my career. I can see their faces after they've had those aha moments. I can see their faces when they've, they've come back after graduating and shared um, just how, you know, how, how much they've grown from that struggling student that was in my room and what they plan to do in the future. And that sense of, of pride that we can have for each other as colleagues for their great work, of, of pride in, in fighting through the arena of, of bullshit that is public education. And, and we fight through it, and, and this, this poster fought through it and won. And it wasn't just her. It was her student. Her student who wanted rigor. Her student who wanted to learn and did whatever it took. Didn't just get on a computer game. Didn't just go home and get on, you know, a learning educational app. No. Got assignments from their teacher. Extra spelling words. Now, I don't know many students in my experience that ask for extra spelling words. So that tells you she was able to deal with tedium. Things were hard for this student. They didn't come easy. She had to work. And it was through that work that she eventually excelled. Anyway, all right. I think I got to end it here. Uh, we we've shined a spotlight on on teacher burnout a bit. Um, we we've discussed being the popular teacher and and some of the potential downfalls of this and and the impact negative impact it can have on education. And we've talked quite a bit on on the Ron Clark Academy and Mr. Clark himself. And this rant bordered on a ramble at times. But I hope I struck the balance that was needed to, to get my message across that it's okay to be unpopular. There are different limits, restrictions that we all operate in. And if you are operating in a setting where you just, you just don't have the energy to do songs and dances, where, you know what, that, that, that fun clap routine that you do to get your class's attention is just not working anymore. Don't be afraid to resort to those old-school, outdated methods. Raise your voice slightly. Don't be afraid to take away recess time. You know what? Make them earn those fun activities. Pile on that tedious work for a while until they show you they can behave and they can learn. Then, then reintroduce those fun things. But don't feel like you have to completely change who you are as an educator, to be popular, to have success, because popularity doesn't always mean effectiveness. 
If you'd like to submit a topic for the show, for the podcast, or show your support with a kind comment, or even vent a rant of your own, feel free to email me at david at davidkyrus.com. david at davidkyrus, C-A-E-R-U-S.com. If you are feeling really generous and want to help me grow this program, consider supporting me on Patreon. Just search for David Kyrus. Membership options are as low as $3 a month for the Coffee a Month Club, and I could always use some more coffee. I implore you to be a part of the change. Share your thoughts, engage in conversations about education, and most importantly, champion the cause of fair compensation and support for our educators. Let's break free from the constraints of outdated policies and embark on a journey to redefine education one conversation at a time. Here's to a week with fewer meetings about meetings, an abundance of breakthrough moments in your classrooms, and the magical disappearance of administrative paperwork. Until the next policy change, this is Edurant, your refuge of educational sanity in the bureaucratic wilderness. Keep your grading swift and your coffee strong. Class dismissed. Excuse me, Mr. Teacher. Hey, kiddo. Did you forget something? What can I help you with? Thank you. You are so welcome.